Welcome to episode seven of the Digital Enterprise. I'm Devashish Mishra. I hope everyone is healthy and in good spirits. The pandemic, in addition to affecting our personal mobility, has created a sea change in how we're collaborating. As companies adjust to the new reality, some of the paradigms about enterprise technology may need to shift as well. Today, our show is called Chief Architects Chatting on COVID and Cloud. My guest is Gary Meadows, the former chief architect at Corning, to talk about the COVID crisis and explore implications for enterprise companies and technology providers. Sound good? Let's go. Hi, everyone. I'm pleased to welcome to the show Gary Meadows, my former colleague and fellow chief architect. Uh, Gary's a seasoned technologist who spent over 20 years at Corning in a variety of IT roles, including as uh, Corning's chief architect. Uh, he's one of the most thoughtful technology leaders I know, so I'm pleased to have him join us to talk about the state of enterprise technology uh, as organizations deal with the current COVID-19 crisis. Gary, welcome. Thank you, Debashis. Good to talk today. Definitely. First things first, how are you coping personally with the crisis? Uh, personally, coping reasonably well. Um, we're isolating ourselves down in Florida, which is not the worst place in the world to isolate. Uh, but we are missing our family. They're uh, all in the UK, and we had a new grandson born eight weeks ago, right at the start of this crisis. So uh, we're looking forward to, at some point in the future, being able to get together and uh, actually uh, hold our new grandson instead of just see them virtually all the time. Yeah, I can imagine. Congratulations. Thank you. So let, let's start with, uh, you know, maybe the obvious conversation, uh, which is, you know, how do you think COVID-19 is going to impact uh, the enterprise tech environment? Or, you know, how is it even impacting it now? Well, I mean, let's, let's talk about now. So, I mean, at, at, at the moment, you've switched into a world suddenly where the majority of your workforce is, has to go into isolation and work remotely. Uh, now, all enterprises were geared up for remote working, there's no doubt about it, uh, but never at the capacity uh, that they're dealing with today. So I have no doubt that CIOs, infrastructure leaders, network leaders have all been exceptionally busy over the last few, few months, uh, improving capability, gaining capacity, uh, even from a security perspective, ensure that the, the enterprise stays secure while enabling their workforce to work from the, these remote locations. Uh, a significant impact, uh, you know, initially uh, and probably has sort of deterred, and not deterred, but has actually redirected a lot of resources. Uh, so already you'll see impacts of uh, programs that were being developed and were being worked on being put to the side as they, you know, deal with the, the immediate need of an enterprise as it transitions. Now, obviously, some enterprises were better suited than others, but in, in, in all instances, no, nobody was expecting the, the level of impact that we, we've just seen through this in, uh, in this time. Yeah, it seems like uh, companies that were already kind of down the path of digital transformation to some degree, you know, whether that was something as basic as, you know, they su subscribe into Office 365, um, you know, versus running exchange on premise, like basically everyone who had some aspect of their enterprise not be physical, uh, but but actually digital has, has come out on, on a little bit more positively than those who are still primarily running on premise. Uh, would you yeah. agree with that? 
I would agree with that. And there's, you know, there's no doubt that, you know, most enterprises have been on this journey of to, to you know, become digital, to adopt more cloud-based services. And that's, you know, one, one of the, the, the reasons they did that was really uh, to, to bring in the agility that these cloud platforms provide them. And like you say, the ones that have, have been adopting this and are st strong in this space definitely have been able to react in a better, better way than uh, some of the enterprises that perhaps still have a lot of resources hosted internally. Yeah, I was talking to a former colleague who's in the finance industry and he was telling me that uh, they literally had an entire category of users who were never issued laptops, weren't actually allowed by policy to remotely access any of the company resources. And so they had to scramble to get all those people enabled and, and trained. They didn't even know how to, you know, log into, um, uh, log in remotely. They, sure. they would just come into the office. And I, I've also, you know, I've been talking with, with friends out there and I've, I've even come across instances where people have been given laptops and sent home only to you know, start putting calls in to help this, where basically they don't have connectivity. You know? They don't have Wi-Fi, they don't have internet. But you know, there's just this assumption that my user, if I give my user a laptop, they'll be able to operate. Uh, so I think the whole uh, user experience side, uh, you know, the, the ability to, to help your user base through this uh, also shouldn't be underwhelmed. You know, people are not used to working from home. Their environments are generally not that conducive to it, especially people with families whose children are also at home at this time. You know, it's not as if you're just working at home for a small period of time. Your whole family's at home. You're not really going out that much and you're tr trying to work, uh, school, school uh, your children, become a teacher, work at home uh, technicians, uh, your own help desk. Uh, it's tough. It, it really is. And uh, you know, the more companies can do to help them in that way, the, the better things will be. Yeah, Let, let's talk about technology, right? Because uh, obviously there's, there's some darlings that have come up as, as everyone's been doing more and more video conferencing, Zoom being maybe the primary beneficiary. Um, and, and then, you know, probably followed by some of the enterprise platforms like, like Microsoft Teams. You know, what do you think about kind of how that market's working out? Because uh, clearly, Microsoft in their most recent earnings report uh, did extremely well, comparatively speaking. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's, there's no doubt that there, there is a, a suite of technologies out there that enable, uh, you know, virtual and remote working that, as we said, have been adopted by enterprises, but now are being ramped up. I think you mentioned Teams there. I think that's adoption has, has gone, you know, it's probably doubled or more in the number of users Microsoft got, have got on the Zoom. Another one that's gone from, you know, fairly niche enterprise platform to, you know, global in scale where even the British royal family are talking over Zoom to each other and things like this. So it's, it's, it's propelled that platform into the future. Um, I think video has been around as this communication and collaboration platform for a long time. Uh, but I think this event has really brought it even more mainstream than it was before. And I think uh, probably uh, a deal that was in, in, in the pipeline prior to this event where, where Verizon have just purchased uh, BlueJeans, another good video platform. But again, we're seeing the, uh, you know, the adoption 
and investments in uh, video collaboration increasing. Again, with Teams, Slack, other types of uh, virtual team collaboration capabilities, also very important. You know, you, when, when, you're, when you're not in rooms where you can shout across to each other and ask questions, these types of uh, technologies are, are critical to making sure you're, you're effective, especially, you know, when, when you're also in this process of transition to, you know, digital product-based DevOps orientated environments where, you know, you, can't, you, you, don't, you don't have the luxury of long communication delays. You really need something that helps you to talk, to make decisions, to move on. Uh, to see what everybody else is doing uh, in an effective way. And uh, the, the, these tool sets definitely come into fruition and de definitely, uh, again, here to stay. They were always emerging and, you know, the adoption was, was ever increasing, but accelerated through this event. Uh, and I think strategically, you know, as people start to come out, out of this, people will be looking at, you know, which of these technologies that they need to accelerate uh, across their enterprise. I mean, even as we come out, it's going to be staged, it's going to take time. You know, how, how do you get the capabilities out there that the businesses really need? How do you uh, prepare for this uh, and make sure you, you know, your organization can work effectively moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. Now, you know, one of the things that I, I've been thinking about constantly now is you know, the strategy that you employ in the, in the collaboration space, right? Whether you go with a more of a platform play like a Microsoft where you're getting lots of integrated collaboration capabilities, but, you know, each individual capability is not necessarily the best, right? Like Teams is a, is a pretty good video platform, but, you know, from a capability perspective, I, I think you could argue successfully that Zoom is a, is a far better video platform. Um, I'm sure my former Microsoft colleagues will disagree with me. <laughs> um, even in, in terms of Slack, right? Slack is a, um, you know, obviously a, a very good collaboration platform, um, certainly compared to Teams. Again, I'm sure Microsoft folks will disagree with me there. But, you know, you see that play out in lots of places. And sure. you know, whether we're talking about um, that place uh, or that space or, you know, the other platform I think about is G Suite. Um, you know, I've, I've been involved with an organization that's, uh, that uses Google Meet and, you know, it, it works, but, you know, I definitely miss the capabilities of Zoom and, and far prefer Zoom to, to Meet. What, yeah. do you, what do you think about that? I, I think it's, it, it is interesting. I, I think one of the big factors is going to be cost because what's going to happen as we come out of this uh, situation every IT organization is going to get cost pressure. Um, so if you have an investment with a platform that has these capabilities and you just haven't deployed them yet, uh, that, that, you know, the, the cost pressures may, may force you down that path uh, anyway. I mean, you know, again, you know, might, maybe not quite the Cadillac of, of solutions, but uh, certainly, you know, affordable because it's probably already in your enterprise agreements and gives you a portion of the capabilities your businesses need at this point in time. So I think we're already seeing that with teams, that rapid adoption. 
because people already owned it. It was a matter of you know implementing and turning on as fast as they could to get get this adoption uh, in in place. Um, I think products like Zoom were have which have a lot of uh, sort of consumer uptake because of their uh, model in, in the consumer space where you know they're not necessarily selling large license, licensing contracts uh you get that adoption there but i'm not sure that you know they've seen the same growth in the enterprise space but predominantly um but yeah i mean you you know have to balance that cost versus pro, you know perfect product or you know better product ma matches Time to deploy will also be another big one. You know, it's you know, it's an it's the world really needs agility. It's how how fast can you not only get these products in place, but how fast can you get your user base to adopt them? Right. Um, so, if a product's simple, you know, well, I did Zoom win win this race because it's it's a fairly simple and effective platform. And it can be adopted quickly. You don't need big training courses. A lot of education. Um, people get in there, they start using the product set. Um, so I think that's another side of it. You know, the products with great UX uh, have a great benefit there and, and may outweigh even the platform plays in some instances because you can get productivity out of your workforce with that user experience uh, improvement. Right. Yeah, I, I could definitely see a situation where you have the executives of a, of a company you know, using Zoom and then going to their CIOs and saying, hey, how come we don't have Zoom? And why are you making me use this? Uh, <laughs> and not to beat up on Microsoft. <laughs> oh, let's use Cisco as an example. Let's, let's use Cisco as another example. Why are we using WebEx, you know? Oh, sure, uh, yeah, absolutely. To... WebEx is a terrible experience. <laughs> <laughs> but, but again, you're, you're right. You know, people, people are gonna come out of this having these experiences of these collaborative technologies that probably, you know, as you say, not just with other companies they're working with while, while they're in isolation, but also with their family and extended family environments. And, and they're, they're gonna want that level of UX. Uh, you know, consumer technologies has been pushing enterprise technologies for decades now. And this is just another acceleration of that, especially in, in the collaboration space. Sure, but do you think this will be kind of a game changer, right? Because you and I have certainly talked about you know, when you look at the enterprise space and, and the technology and the user experience, right? Like essentially, um, compared to best of breed technologies, um, you know, these companies have, have deprioritized experience uh, compared to their, you know, maybe nimbler competitors um, as they, they go for more breadth of capability. Um, you know, do, do you think it changes for, for companies like Dell and, and um, Cisco and SAP. I, I think, as I said, consumer UX has been pushing on, on a lot of platforms for a long time. Um, I think the core capabilities of some of these larger platforms, you know, will always retain and maintain. But I think what you'll see is enterprises wrapping those cores more and, and you know and, and limiting the capability that, that they leverage out of some of these you know older uh, technologies to put the more nimble capabilities around it we're already seeing that and you know in if you look at the traditional erp space a lot of companies now are surrounding their eop ecosystems 
with nimbler, more modern uh, application sets that are predominantly SaaS orientated or you know, some sort of you know, multi-cloud focus that gives them the capabilities they want at release speeds and times that they need for their business. I mean, you know, again, you know, traditional large platforms have slow release cycles because they are complex in, in nature and in their architecture. Uh, and these newer, more agile platforms uh, can react and deliver capability at speed. I mean, you've seen that even with Zoom. Okay, Zoom, great product, got a, got a, you know, got a lot of bad press around security, uh, reacted quickly. Uh, they have a big release coming out on May 9th that improves security more. I mean, they have that speed to be able to do it because they've, they've architected a modern platform that enables to, to, to re release, you know, days and hours, not, you know, months uh, to be able to, to get, get version upgrades out there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so let, let's shift our conversation a little bit to, you know, the cloud and then cloud providers. Um, one, of, one of my uh, former colleagues was asking me about, you know, AWS versus Azure. Um, I'm not even sure, you know, from, from my perspective, that's even the question, but do you see um, one of the major, you know, hyperscale cloud providers um, doing better in, in the environment? Well, there's, there's, there's no doubt that the, the direction already is, is to adopt these cloud providers, you know, at pace from, from many companies. Um, will they be doing better? I, I think so. I, again, it's now into people prioritizing, you know, people have now noticed what, what they've had problems with while they've gone through this situation. What have they struggled to get their users to work with effectively? Uh, what systems have been working well for them? What approaches have worked well for them? Uh, you know, where do they need to you know, make things better so that they can cope as a, as a corporation moving forward? In doing that, I think you'll see that you know, people start to transition you know, more of those systems they've, they've struggled with to, to the cloud platforms. Um, Microsoft, from a, a, you know, a cloud business perspective, they're probably about half or a little less than half the size of, of, size of Amazon. They have similar capabilities. Um, they're a strong number two in the field, there's no doubt. Amazon is still, uh, while growing, and the, the growth rate is still strong, uh, market share, they're getting a little taken from, from Microsoft and Google coming along, but not significant. They're still sort of uh, the big player. They still seem to, they lead through the innovation. Um, Microsoft seemed to follow them well and are effective at that, but mo a lot of the cloud innovation is, is coming from that. And their customer base is, you know, Amazon's customer base pushes them in that space. Uh, you know, the analogy that's been around for a long time is, you know, if you're looking for a cloud provider, uh, you know, why would you take a knife to a gunfight? You know, if, if Amazon is the, the gun of the cloud, cloud platform, you know, that's the way to go. But as you say, I think now people are, are saying that multi-cloud is, you know, really the answer. You're not going to get everything you want from one cloud provider in an enterprise. But you do need to be strategic on, on deciding what capabilities you're going to put with which. And you, you don't want to create levels of complexity where, you know, there is too much... Uh, variability on which provider you select for which which uh, deployment or which capability. So I think strong governance around determining what do you want your cloud providers to, to deliver for you and focusing in that space is, is critical. 
Right. Do you have any kind of rules of thumb in terms of how you think about which workloads should go to, to one cloud versus the other? I think, well, you have to, one, look at your whole ecosystem. So you, you've also got a, a SaaS and a component of this. And, you know, if, if you've got, what are those SaaS solutions being hosted is part of that play also. So if, if you're predominantly a Microsoft Azure SaaS selection, uh, you know, you, you really should, you know, primarily stay within that focus. If, you, if you've got one that's more AWS orientated, uh, then go that way. Um, but then you, then it's, you know, you've got skill set differences. If you're, you know, a long-term Microsoft shop, strong relationships with Microsoft as a corporation, huge investments in their technologies, you know, you're a platform adopter. Um, and the Microsoft cloud gives you the capabilities you want. You know, you, you can do the majority of what you want to do within that Azure platform. Uh, but again, if you, if you want to be um, developing capabilities that are more leading edge, um, you probably want to be looking to do those on, on an Amazon cloud platform. They, they, they bring the capabilities faster. They, they rev the capabilities at, at a pace that is uh, above the, the others. And I think as we, as from a third player perspective, um, if you're in, if twofold, one, the easy one is, if you compete with, compete with Amazon as a, as a business, uh, not, not AWS, but Amazon itself, you probably don't want to be hosting all your systems in the AWS cloud. So Microsoft and Google are, are good alternatives. Uh, but if you're into machine learning and analytics, Google and IBM both have strong plays in that, in that space outside of uh, the Amazon and Microsoft stacks and should be looked at also. Right. Yeah, you know, I, I have to say, I, I agree with uh, pretty much everything you said there. You know, when I was at NBC, um, certainly, you know, we leaned AWS for most capabilities, but certainly uh, we had a significant .NET uh, footprint and, and a lot of folks who, who really just knew Microsoft technology well. Um, so, so certainly, uh, for certain kinds of projects, we, we lean towards uh, Azure. So for example, we had an application uh, where a significant component was actually a third party component. Um, and it was uh, hosted, they, they had a SaaS version of it that was hosted in Azure. Uh, and so when we rebuilt that application, we, we built it in Azure so that it, it could have that proximity to, uh, uh, to that component. Um, and even as we thought about uh, you know, platform services, you know, uh, the Azure SQL service is, is far better than uh, obviously any offering that you might get from Amazon. So, uh, so that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, same thing with, you know, as, as we think about where, where do you go for future capabilities or future looking capabilities? Um, you know, we, we had a team that deployed Snowflake in Azure initially, um, or not deployed it, but was using the Snowflake instance that was deployed um, as a service out of Azure. And, you know, we were questioning that because we we're kind of like, well, Snowflake, when they deliver new features, they do it in their, their AWS instance, they don't do it in Azure. Um, so, we, so we kind of moved over. Yeah. Um, but, sorry, go ahead. I, I think you're right. I mean, it's, you know, there, there are certain capabilities that, you know, 
you, you want the power of, of the, the leadership on that platform and uh, you know, taking those. I think multi-cloud is becoming easier, but it's still complex. You still need skills on those platforms and they're not identical in any way. So, you know, as, as you grow over time, yeah, you can, you can target those and your product teams can, can, can work on, on the cloud, clouds of, of choice. But you really still, you know, just like no difference historically, you've got the, the, you know, the larger components of uh, the technologies you want to leverage, you really want to focus down and, uh, and select a, pr a primary in the space. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, interesting though, as we talk about kind of managing in multiple cloud environments, you know, how do you think maybe something like Anthos from Google impacts that? Because uh, obviously they've, they've just recently announced um, their ability to support uh, AWS and they've got Azure in the works and, you know, creating that abstraction to be able to run workloads in multiple environments um, is, is obviously pretty appealing. Yeah, I mean, abst abstraction has, has been, you know, a goal of many f since the, the cloud players came. I mean, you know, it, it was initially, you know, the thought where people could uh, spot price compute capability across multiple cloud providers and, you know, move jobs as and when they needed to. Um, and there was a lot of play for that at one point in time, but the complexity of it all got uh, got to a level where people generally stayed away from that and, and started to target, you know, workload per cloud type, and it worked better for them. Uh, I think with Anthos, um, I think it, it's interesting that they have determined that you know people will need multi-cloud that if you build on the top of the Anthos platform, it gives people that level of flexibility and movement. And also, I think it also helps them from uh, a developer community. So, you know, you know historically, if you're, got, if you're gonna build a, a product, you, you know, you tended to pick, again, AWS, because you wanted to take the gun, uh, not the knife. And that's where you started, and then you became Airbnb or Uber or, Netflix or whoever you became, and you sat on top of the cloud infrastructure that you started out with, and you, you tuned yourself in so you don't move away. Um, I think with Google providing Anthos, which allows them to obviously build effectively on Google Cloud, but also quite easily move those products around to other cloud providers, you know, for whatever reason, you know, let's say that, you know Enterprise X only does Azure. Uh, then you have that capability to, to move those products far easier uh, with, with those capabilities. And I think the other thing that I like with Anthos is, is, is there the play around the potential to move, uh, move, move products to the edge or you know, outside of the cloud slightly. And again, enterprises have some instances, you know, some capabilities and some instances they, they want to keep with inside their en enterprise. And so Anthos allows you to, to build a product that can go to the cloud or can sit within inside your enterprise. And uh, you know, that has a lot of power in that capability. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And you know, I, I certainly think the, the notion of portability across uh, cloud environments is something that you know, certainly I got away from when, when I was at NBC. 
um, you know, and, and just saying, let's, let's pick the right cloud for the job that we need to get done. I, I do think what's interesting about Anthos and, and cloud management platforms in general is more on the governance side, right? How do I ensure consistency of my policy uh, and tooling and services across my different cloud environments? Um, that's been, I think, more of a compelling play. And I think what, what's interesting to me is that now that Google has gone in this direction, um, I, I think that potentially they're going to create a new center of gravity and, and a place that's been uh, pretty fragmented for the last few years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, like I said, it, it, it was an interesting move. Um, and, you know, if you're, if you're, you're third in the race, it's, it's a smart move to play. Um, and, you know, they have a track record of, of, of building capabilities that are, that are low deployments uh, to move effectively across different technologies. So, you know, it's, it's a strong play for them. And as you say, I think others will see it. We'll see what they can do to kind of replicate it or compete with it. Uh, but uh, it'll be interesting to see where it plays out. Yeah. Do you think there's really room for a third cloud environment, right? Like, is Google at this point too late? Um, I mean, obviously they're, they're still growing, they're still growing at a significant pace, uh, but they're significantly behind, I would say, uh, compared to Amazon and AWS, or sorry, AWS and Azure. Um, you know, is it, you know, similar to the cell phone market where your really choices are iOS and Android and then, you know, Microsoft was left with building services for both? Uh, does Google just essentially become a, a cloud services provider? Um, it's interesting. I mean, the upside to Google is that you know they need a lot of that infrastructure and cloud build out anyway. You know, they, they, they you know their whole search engine was you know just like Amazon built built their infrastructure for their business, Google built their cloud for their business. Yeah, so um, and they have a strong innovation team that fuels their core business that that, that benefits the Google Cloud platform. I think it's it's not going to be, you know, a third, a third, a third anytime. I think they're, they're always going to be the third player. I think they're going to be more niche than others. And I, I agree, they're going to, you know, they're going to build services uh, that uh, can work with and complement the other two major cloud providers. But, there, you know, there are other cloud providers in the world as well, Alibaba and Tencent. You know, they're smaller, you know. We could say that Oracle or cloud provider, if we could work out the maths on uh, how, how they calculate what, what, what's a cloud sale within the corporation. But again, capabilities are there, smaller in nature. Uh, will Google compete with Microsoft and Amazon? Totally, probably not. Um, but in niche areas, you know, again, very strong. And in AI and analytics, exceptionally strong. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I, I could definitely see Google as being compelling in the media and entertainment space. Um, you know, the, the issue that we would talk about a lot was data egress uh, and how that got charged out uh, between Azure and AWS, uh, which, you know, when you're, when you're sending out video, obviously your egress is significant, um, especially from a cost perspective. Um, but, but the nice thing about Google is uh, obviously you know, once you put your data there, it's, it's replicated globally, which is fantastic, um, especially when you're talking about video content. Um, so, so I could see maybe the emergence of clouds that are more vertically uh, in terms of if you're, if you're looking outside of Azure and AWS, 
maybe some some cloud environments that are more uh, industry niche players as opposed to kind of broad plays. Yeah, the industry clouds have, have been talked about for quite some time. I think you you still the thing is you still need that core platform with all the capabilities that, that everybody else has. So, you know, although they'll be built, they're probably going to be built on this core set of cloud providers that are out there today at this point in time. Um, because you just can't stand up a, a new industry capability without that underlying foundation. Sure. Um, and what about, um, you know, one of the other things that we would talk about is um, applications that were built up, platform services that were hosted in different clouds. Do you think that that's a viable model for application development? When you say hosted in different clouds, so I might have, you know, my application is is got storage in say Azure and, and maybe most of the business logic, but then I'm making a, a service call to to Google for their AI capabilities. I'm um, sending, you know, maybe I'm doing some specific logic or services in the AWS cloud, uh, but you know, the core of my application might be in Azure. I, I think it's. It's possible. I think, you know, if I think I look at some of the services that are, you know, you know, serverless or functions that could be called from these clouds, I, th I think there's, there's no doubt that you can integrate them. I think the level of complexity of integration you need to be careful of. And as you mentioned, the amount of data you want to move around, be very careful of. Um, because that's where the, the costs start to ramp up if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're replicating too much across multiple clouds. Uh, to get the capability you want, but things like Google Translate, which is the, you know a very powerful translate engine, uh, if that's a capability you want, and you prefer it over the capabilities of the other cloud providers, integrating that through their APIs is you know is is viable. So I, I see that I see some of that integration, but as you say, that you know you still need to target the core. Uh, you know, uh, of your platform of your product. Where do you really want it? Where you're going to get the best benefit from? the capabilities that are core to that platform uh, and then the ancillary stuff yeah you you, you can plug in uh, but be worth the complexity and uh, have good management around the API integration that you're, that you're doing that way yeah in uh, in terms of uh, you know as we talk about you know, the impact of covid 19 on on the enterprise and and the shift away from you know physical infrastructure to uh, to more cloud environments, what, you know, what does that do to some of the um, traditional enterprise players, especially on-premise? You know, whether that's Cisco or that's Dell. Uh, how do you think they're going to, or IBM? How do, how do you think that they're going to react to the to that change? Um, I think you know the, the enterprise players. You know, have. Basically, have a world of hybrid IT, a hybrid cloud uh, is their is their go-to-market strategy. You know, and understanding that the cloud data centers exist and required, and SaaS is required, but there'll always be a requirement inside an enterprise for for platforms uh, that they, they they manufacture and sell. Um, which, is, in, in many instances, is correct. You know, if, if you look at you know some of the uh, Manufacturing organizations like uh, the ones we worked out at Corning, you know, there, there, there is there's some work 
that absolutely needs to stay close to where the manufacturing is carried out. And you don't want to move that data or information. We don't even have the, the time cycles that you require to, to, to move that, that compute further away. Um, but that's not a large portion of an enterprise IT footprint. So uh, it's difficult over time that they, they continue to struggle. I mean, more and more people migrate to cloud services. Um, you know, more and more pressure comes on these organizations. Uh, you know, there's security, um, legislations, all of these things. Most of these things have been dealt with uh, with big cloud players now. You know, banks are out there, um, big financial institutions are out there, you know, research organizations are out there. So many of the capabilities that people always said, you can't do this because the cloud's not safe, secure, legal, whatever it might be, uh, all, all have been overcome over the last decade. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, you know, the data center market for, you know, the enterprise on-prem data centers uh, is, is, is an ever-declining market as, as people move their applications and, and leverage SaaS more as well. I mean, as we talked earlier, you know, shrinking the size of your own applications and surrounding them with other capabilities that you can call, uh, functions you can call. Uh, and then, you know, the good things that they're trying is, you know, they're trying the on-demand models, they're trying to, to, to you know, look from a pricing perspective, uh, like a cloud-like deploy. Um, it's close, it's not the same, but it's close and, and they're, they're doing well with that particular model where it's, uh, you know, compute and storage on demand and that, you know, you, you, you pay for what you use. But uh, it's not quite by the second pricing that you get in some of these, you know, in the larger cloud organizations. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of uh, technology, you know, who do you think's uh, most exciting? Or, you know, who are you most excited about? You know, it could be a new player, it could be an existing player. Um, you know, what do you think has the most promise in terms of delivering new value to the enterprise? I, I mean, I still like, you know, I like the cloud players. I like Amazon. I like Microsoft. I like Google. I, th I think they've got a, a massive amount of potential to, to, to bring forward to the enterprise. Um, I think NVIDIA are an interesting company from a, you know, from a, I, you know, I come from a company with a lot of R&D background. I think that they're, they're, they're powerful in the high performance compute. I think the GPU technologies have still got a, a long way to come. And I also think that uh, they're strongly positioned in the IoT space, and as as, uh, as that, that 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 space continues to, to to grow and expand, so I think that they're a powerful player out there. There's a lot of new security companies out there. I think securities become ever complex. Uh, I think uh, you know the, the num I know the number of security tools and platforms that we leveraged at Corning and like many other enterprises is, was large, uh, and I think uh, things that are cloud-based uh, are, are important. You know, all all technologies you know need automation. Um, but, you know, 
without, without automation, you can't move at the pace that the industry needs you these days. So anything that's software defined that has good APIs uh, is strong in that space. Um, I think ServiceNow is a good platform for managing your IT organization uh, and managing the services you deliver. I think that they're, they're building a strong platform um, and they're expanding the capabilities of it reasonably well. What other ones out there? And I think the other space that's important and probably as we started off the call, uh, one that is under a lot of pressure is the network itself. So, you know, many enterprises still have a network that's predominantly defined for delivering capabilities from enterprise data centers. Uh, and now in a, you know, a multi-cloud world, people need to change that, that, uh, that view of the network and even more so with the COVID event, you know, it's, you know, you have a workforce that's scattered across the globe at home uh, and you're still trying to deliver services from, you know, multiple points and multiple locations securely. So, uh, so that those are, so software defined networking capabilities from the likes of Cisco or VMware or others uh, are, are important capabilities. Uh, and I think, you know, a big change, it's, it takes a while to move a network uh, in an enterprise, but there's a big change coming in how those networks are, are architected and deployed over the next few years. Um, and I think the other one for link with security is identity. I mean, people are, again, are, are realizing that if you're going to have multi-cloud um, environments and users scattered on m many types of devices from any place, any time, anywhere. Uh, identity is critical. You really need to understand who's doing what with inside your enterprise. So the modernization of identity uh, with products like Okta, I think are, are very strong in that space. Yeah, it makes sense. I, I, I definitely agree. I, I think network is in for a, a massive change if it, if it hasn't already, only, if only because with so much capability now being handled by uh, applications and capabilities that sit outside the network. Um, you know, the notion of a, a network as a kind of a moat uh, or, a, you know, a walled garden, uh, I, I think is, is completely obsolete. Uh, absolutely. You, you know, basically we'll get, have to get down to a point that your, 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 your connectivity is point to point for the application that you're using in that particular instance. So, it, you know, micro segmentation, uh, you know, is going to be the norm where, you, you know, you, 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 the user connects, you know, a channel to an application. We know the identity of the user. We know the channel is encrypted and secure. We know the applications where it's hosted and it's all effective and controlled. Today, as you say, we just have gates and, and moats that people go through and we assume everything else is okay. You can't do that in the future, but that is a big change and can only work through massive automation. Uh, you can't uh, manage that the way you, you manage a traditional network. Um, so software defined networking and the skills required to do that and to design that into the applications that you're delivering. So the DevOps aspect of it is also critical uh, from, from that perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can't agree with you more that identity becomes uh, one of the most significant aspects of your cybersecurity posture um, and, and having capabilities that really 
drive clarity in terms of who is the user, what's the context of their access, and you know what data are they trying to access becomes, um, I, I think, one of the most defining principles of your kind of cybersecurity framework. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, the as you know, I, I care a lot about agility in, in the overall ecosystem. So I think a lot about integration. Um, so this, the company I'm, I'm probably most excited about uh, from a technology perspective is Kong, uh, which is an API uh, management solution uh, that essentially thinks about uh, API management, not from a north-south traffic perspective, but from an east-west perspective. So uh, as you think about applications that are built of microservices, um, that are that are basically mashed together. Um, you need something that's really lightweight and and high performance to be able to make those transactions go as quickly as possible. And and Kong has a pretty novel approach to that. Uh, I, I think that's besides them, at least uh, when I looked at it, uh, it was them and Red Hat who had a solution around this um, for for addressing it. Um, it certainly compared to traditional API gateways like like a, a MuleSoft or an Apogee. No, yeah, I mean, I, I did look at them after we, were, uh, we spoke historically around that product. And it is an interesting approach, uh, without doubt. And like you say, agility is critical. With, without that, um, you know, you, you're not going to make that, that, that way forward uh, to, to develop those new capabilities. Yeah, definitely. Hey, this has been fantastic, Gary. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, last question uh, before we kind of sign off. Uh, what's the first thing you're going to do uh, once uh, once they lift the uh, uh, self warranty? Well, I, th I think th as it's going to be a phased lift now, um, I think the, the the first phase is I'll probably take my wife out uh, and we'll get some dinner safely at some restaurant at some point in the future after people have practiced a little. I don't want to be a uh, a beta restaurant tester, but. Uh, <laughs> Once we got that, it'll be it'll be good. Uh, my my cooking's okay, but after a while, I, I get somewhat repetitive. So it'd be nice to go out and have somebody else cook. Uh, but really, we're looking looking forward to travel and to be honest, international travel. And we know that's a ways out yet. But uh, our family, as I say, is all in the UK, and we're, we're looking forward to getting together at some point in the future. Yeah, definitely got to go see your grandkids. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, thank you so much, sir. Uh, we're definitely gonna have to do it again uh, and talk about some of the other uh, tech topics that are hot out there. Yeah, we will. That's been great. Thanks a lot, Debashish. I'll speak to you soon. All right, take care. Okay, bye. That's it for today's episode of The Digital Enterprise. I wanna thank Gary Meadows for chatting with me today and sharing his insights. If you want to stay abreast of what's happening in enterprise technology, I highly recommend following Gary on Twitter at Gary underscore Meadows. I'll have it in the episode notes too. I especially want to thank you too for listening. I hope it's been helpful. I appreciate those of you who've subscribed to the podcast, especially international listeners who are now 30% of the audience. If you haven't subscribed yet, you can catch it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and most major podcast platforms. I'd love a five-star review and feedback. You can also send your feedback to me directly on email at dm at digitalenterprise with a dot se at the end. I'll also list it in the show notes. Thanks again. See you next time.